The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Stanzi, all the time in the world, he has a man wide open, an easy touchdown for Trey Strauss. Hawkeyes on the board in their first drive of the game. Well, Iowa's been looking for a strong start from Ricky Stanzi. They sure got it here today as he completes his first two passes. This one, a touchdown shot to Trey Strauss on a post route. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from HawkeyesMike.com. The Iowa-Arkansas State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with Pam Ward and Ray Bentley. You know, this ended up being a pretty exciting football game, especially coming down to the end, but you'd never really know that from listening to Pam Ward's monotone play-by-play calling. It's stunning that ESPN2 still retains her services for this purpose, the worst job in any Iowa game so far this season. Bentley's just okay, but then he's stuck working with her. Nevertheless, we very much appreciate it and thank them and hope that sometime in the not-too-distant future, ESPN2 will come up with a better team for these featured contests. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season. You'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Kirk Ferentz and Rich Rodriguez. And we'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview the Iowa-Michigan game. Also this week, we will feature Hayden Fry reminiscing about coaching against Michigan and Bo Schembechler. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Steps up into the pocket. as a man on the sideline, and he hits him in full stride. That's Marvin McNutt with the Hawkeye touchdown. Stanzi with two touchdown throws already. Ricky Stanzi threw the perfect deep ball down the sideline as McNutt got outside release against the cover two, and Kelsey McCray, the safety, just could not get there in time. Perfectly thrown ball, and Ricky Stanzi starts this one out five for five. What are the critics going to say now? The Iowa Hawkeyes held on to defeat the upset-minded Arkansas Red Wolves 24-21 last Saturday in Kinnick Stadium. The win gave Iowa a 5-0 record to start the season, a first under head coach Kirk Ferentz, and also the first time since 1995. The Hawks started each half, showing intensity on both sides of the ball and scoring early. But the running game stalled for Iowa, and the Red Wolves' no-huddle-spread offense often moved the ball effectively, especially late in the game. While Iowa managed to rack up over 400 yards in offense, and quarterback Ricky Stansley finally started a game throwing well, the Red Wolves' defensive line managed to stall key Iowa drives. Stansley also threw two interceptions, one a pick six late in the game that allowed Arkansas State to get back into the contest and have a chance at the upset. Arkansas State was a 21-point underdog going into last Saturday. Ultimately, Iowa avoided a loss in the dreaded trap game. The Hawks did what they had to do to win this contest and set themselves up for the big homecoming game this weekend against Michigan under the lights and on nationwide TV. The Wolverines suffered their first loss of the season to Michigan State in overtime at East Lansing. Great story. Compelling and rich. 
HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with just a single application. To learn more, go to www.prefensbotanicals.com. Prefens is now the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa football team, the men's and women's basketball teams, and the defending NCAA champion Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling team. Iowa scored a passing touchdown on its opening possession against Arkansas State. While Arkansas State did not score on its opening possession, the Hawks have allowed just one opponent, Penn State, last week to score on its opening drive in the last 18 games. Sophomore wide receiver Marvin McNutt had his first career touchdown reception with a 41-yard catch in the first period. He added a 43-yard scoring reception in the third and the end of the game against Arkansas State with four catches for 121 yards and two TDs, his best game as a Hawk at the wide receiver position so far. The Hawks scored touchdowns on its opening two drives. Iowa had only scored 17 points in the first quarter of its first four games this year. Junior quarterback Ricky Stanzi went 18 for 26 in passing. That's a season-high 296 yards and three touchdowns. And he has six pass completions Saturday over 20 yards. Stanzi ranks ninth in career passing after passing Paul Burmeister, Jake Christensen, and Larry Lawrence for the Hawks. Iowa's defense allowed three touchdowns, yet the Hawks have not allowed a rushing touchdown now in 33 consecutive periods. Iowa collected two turnovers against Arkansas State, and the Hawks scored on 43 of their last 46 red zone possessions, 29 TDs, and 14 field goals. Pat Anger led all defenders with 11 tackles, and both of Adrian Claiborne's tackles on Saturday were sacks. He also was credited with two QB hurries. Looking at the key stats, first downs, pretty even really. The Hawks 18, the Red Wolves 17, yards rushing, 124 for Iowa, 80 for Arkansas State. Passing, 296 for the Hawks, 216 for the Red Wolves. Total offense, 420 for Iowa to 296 for Arkansas State. Possession time was pretty even really, 31-39 for the Hawks, 28-21 for Arkansas State. Third down conversions, the Red Wolves went 7-14, the Hawks only 6-14. Red zone scoring chances, 1 of 2 for Iowa, 2 of 3 for Arkansas State, which had led the nation in scoring in every chance inside the red zone going into that game. First down, empty backfield for Leonard. Has time to throw, and throws it right to Sash. He's done it again, Tyler Sash, with his fifth interception of the season. Great underneath coverage by Anger, and Anger showed color, and that forced Leonard to throw it high. And when you throw it high against this Hawkeye secondary, I guarantee you either Sash or Greenwood will be sitting back there waiting on it. Sash now has eight interceptions in his last seven games, five of them this season.
time now to hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz talks about Michigan freshman quarterback Tate Forcier. Number one, he's very aware. He's got great presence out there, great feel, and he is a playmaker. You know, he can he can uh, improvise, uh, which is a sign of a good quarterback. He can he can get out of trouble with his feet, and certainly can throw you uh, hurt hurt you with his throwing, and has done that. Yeah, and he's just I think I think the most impressive thing is just his. Uh, um, demeanor out there you know he's seems like he's totally under control uh, it does a lot of uh, you know he'll improvise but it just seems like he really has a good knack a good instinct and you know that's what good quarterbacks have I'm not sure you teach that but uh, he certainly is doing a good job Kirk talks about Iowa's approach to defending Michigan's spread option attack philosophically I mean it goes back really to when we played Northwestern uh, in 2000 you know I think uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, as different as their attack was than it had been the year before some of the teams that we had played yeah, we just felt like our best uh, way to match up would be to stay in our, our base personnel. And uh, so I think philosophically that, that's more how we think. And, and then we'll, we'll uh, make our changes more based on down and distance, more, more typically. Now sometimes we'll uh, match up against four, four receiver sets or five wide receiver sets. You know, people put those unusual groupings on the field. We may do a little something, but um, usually if there's a tight end on the field and it's just a normal situation, we're going to keep our, our base people in and try to adjust off of and then we just as you mentioned we gotta be real careful about what we do so we don't get those mismatch problems and certainly any good offensive teams looking to create mismatches and you know, they're gonna they're gonna continue to do that. Ferens was asked about the importance of field position in this game given both teams have really good punters. You know it's important in every game and they do have good kickers. Certainly their punter's excellent and their uh, kickoff guy does a great job too. He He's got a very strong leg. So, uh, you know, this is going to be a big game, tough game, and, and special teams are, are really important. And, and these guys do a good job on special teams, not only with their, their skilled players, but also their, their core guys really work at it. So it's going to be a big challenge for us there. Coach Ferentz was questioned about his offense. Consistency, just consistency in general. I think, you know, we had a better day in some areas the other day and, and maybe regressed a little bit in some areas. And probably the hardest thing, the thing we've been struggling the most with is our kickoff return team. Yeah, and that's, you know, we'll continue to work on that. I I think we're gaining ground, but we're not consistent enough yet. You know, obviously the other day missing a field goal. I mean, that's you, you like to think that one's. And then they were kind enough to return the favor, and that was those were two big plays in the game. But you can't count on that. You just can't count on them. Uh, you know, missing one too. That. It's makeable. Ferentz was asked about emphasizing putting pressure on a freshman quarterback like Forcier, increasing the chances that he might make a mistake. Yeah, I, th- I think there is, and normally there is, but with this guy, I'm not sure that's a good thing um, because he seems to you know, thrive on that situ- situation, that circumstance. And you know, we were riding home from uh, our second game, and, and that was on the the TV on the bus. And uh, geez, you know, one play he may just pulled it down and ran whatever it was, 30 yards or 40 yards. Uh, caught, I think uh, Notre Dame was in man coverage and you know took off. So hey, you better be careful what you wish for with this this quarterback, you know, because he's, he's good. He's really good. Dad Ferentz talks about whether defending the spread offense becomes easier as that offensive style becomes more prevalent. Yeah, it just it depends how it's run. You know, I think it's like any offense. And you know, I'm flashing back now. Again, I'll go back to that Northwestern game. At that point, it was like, you know, whoa. You know, looking at that thing, that was... A little bit different, and so certainly, I think I think there's probably we're, we're more accustomed to playing three wides, four wides, where they run and throw and all that kind of thing. You know, ten years later than we were maybe in 2000. You know, I think yeah, certainly it's uh, maybe easier to plug in against, but it doesn't make it easy. It's still you know, it's a, if you have a good system with good players, you know, it presents uh, presents a lot of challenges. I'm, I'm more f- focused on the players and, and how they operate the offense and what what the offense may be. 
you know, people forget they were on pretty good offense with, uh, you know, the last game I think Coach Carp uh, participated in was uh, in Capital One Bowl. Uh, being a pretty good Florida team, and they, they had it going pretty good that day too. So, you know, when you have good players that understand this game and play well, you know, you got a good – that makes it tough for the defense, and that's, that's really what we're, we're seeing here again with Michigan. Michigan coach Rich Rodriguez was asked what strikes him most about Iowa's defense. You know, Teddy, they're, they're always in position to make the plays. That's the first thing that strikes at your film. Then the second thing, obviously, how active they are at their positions. I mean, they, they get off blocks, they get to the football, and they and they tackle very well. So, you know, they're a very sound, fundamental team, but they also have some outstanding athletes as well. Rodriguez was asked whether Michigan coaches are putting extra emphasis this week in practice on ball security, given Iowa's penchant for forcing turnovers. Well, no, none more than usual. I think we always do, as most coaches would, to talk about ball security, but they, they do have a penchant for that, and you also notice on the film how many tip balls that they, uh, they're they active in getting around and getting that going, so we got to make sure that, one, that we're, we're accurate in the passing game, and two, that, as you mentioned, we got to take care of the ball because it's, if you have a few turnovers against them, you have no chance to win the game. Rodriguez talks about what concerns him most when he looks at Iowa. One, that they, they're so good defensively, they don't give a, hardly any big plays. You know, you're looking for, sometimes you look for runs of over 10, and there's very few of those, and you look for passes over 15, there's very few of those. So you can see that they're keeping everything in front of them, and you, you have to earn everything you get defensively. And offensively, they've been able to get in a lot of rhythm and get some big plays in the last week or so, and they just all sound all around. But defensively, what concerns us is that nobody has been able to move the ball consistently against them all year. Rodriguez assesses his own defense through the Wolverines' first five games. I think there's been moments where we've played in every game where we've played really good defense and then there's been moments in a lot of games where we didn't play as well and that's that the inconsistency is the part that we've talked about as a, as a staff defensive staff and myself about okay we play good for one or two plays and then on third and long or third medium or another play we give up a big play and if we can just eliminate them and, and develop more consistency which some of it is you can almost expect because of some new starters and a new scheme but that being said five games into it we have to have a little bit more consistency at times to play a whole game of, of every down defense the way we want to. Rodriguez talks about the fact it's been 33 straight quarters since Iowa last gave up a rushing touchdown. I mean, it's astounding. As normally you think maybe you get a quarterback sneak or something in the goal line that you get in there, but to have the 33 straight quarters, how many games that is, eight or nine game span, is it's really quite remarkable. And again, that's just because it goes back to not just this year, but even toward the end of last year, very few people were able to run consistently on the Hawkeyes. Coach Rodriguez was asked if there's any other defensive front that reminds him of Iowa's D-line. Well, they're, they're very active up front and remind us, you know, there's some other you know, teams in our league that we still have to play that have, have fronts very similar to that, so that's kind of a scary thought. But, you know, they're as active and use their hands as well as any front that I've seen in the last several years. Rodriguez talks about the difficulties Michigan had with its running game against Michigan State last Saturday. Well, there's a couple of things. One, you know, some of the things, you know, they, they did a good job, and, and two, there was some lack of execution on our part. And three, is kind of, some of it was, was play calling, what we were doing at times. It was a strange game, especially in the first half. We only had the ball 19 uh, snaps, and then the second half we were behind, so we were throwing a little bit more. But they did a good job with us, and again, we, we didn't um, execute nearly as well as we needed to 
in the run game. You know, I'm not, you know, we're not certainly going to abandon it. We, we've got to get better, and there's a lot of things we could clean up. But after watching the film, I expected it to be worse as far as, you know, some of the things in a run game. And even though it wasn't pretty by any stretch of imagination, everything that we did wrong, we, could, we think we can fix. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Well, Marv, what's your takeaway from Saturday's home win over Arkansas State? A win is a win, and the Hawks are 5-0. and That's right. And, you know, and I think Arkansas State's a, a decent football team. I mean, uh, you know, they did play Nebraska, and they played them, you know, relatively well and represented themselves well. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's Iowa's M.O., and they play pretty much every game will be close. I mean, last year, Purdue, I think Purdue was a 2-9 and nine team, and we played them to the last play of the game. I mean, they were throwing in the end zone for the win. So, you know, I think that's kind of what we do and who we are. We, we play it close to the vest. You know, we're good enough to win right now. We're better teams than the teams we've been playing. We're good enough to win those games. It's a little odd. The Hawks didn't appear to come out flat at the start of the game. In fact, they came out playing with intensity at the beginning of both halves scored early, and then it seemed like that intensity kind of went into hibernation. Would you say that's accurate, and if so, what causes that? Well, I, I think part of it is, is they, you know, they were up. And, you know, it's one of those games when they felt like they had control of the game, and, and they really did have control of the game for the most part throughout. So, you know, I, I never really felt like the game was in, in question. Uh, you know, that being the case, they do have to have that mindset where they put teams away, especially the teams that aren't as good as them. They need to put them away if they get them down 14 or... 17 points, that's when you really got to go for the, the final part of it and get up 24 or 28, and then you really got them. They can't fight their way back. So that's what it is. And, and I think for Iowa, it's the first time they really felt like they've had some breathing room, except late against Iowa State, probably, as far as being up on a team and knowing you're going to win the game. But but it was it was an impressive win, in my opinion. I thought Stanzi, for the most part, is playing a lot better, except for the exception of two mistakes that he made and uh, two mistakes that he usually doesn't make. But uh, for the most part, I thought it was a pretty good game. As a player at either the college or the pro level, do you recall facing a team that sort of presented a trap game? And if so, how did you approach it? You talked about it early. I mean, it's just every win is just as important as the next win. I mean, at the end of the season, I'm not going to look back and say, well, did you beat UNI or did you beat... I mean, the bowl committees will look through that stuff. But if you're if you're 12-1 and one or 11-3 or, or, and three or two, it doesn't matter. I mean, they just, they're going to look at the wins and losses. And... And so, you know, what you got to tell the kids is each win is equally important. You know, from that standpoint, uh, you know, the trap game aspect is you always try to keep focused and just realize it's an opportunity to get a W. You got to find a way to win no matter what. And then ultimately, you know, get them excited about the opportunity to have a chance to play college football. As a Regina coach now, how would you try to anticipate that and prepare your team? Just it's the way you practice during the week. It's the focus, the attention to detail. Are you letting things slide? Are you, are you really harping on the fundamentals of the game and really paying attention to what's going on? And, and if the focus is there during the week, and usually you're gonna have that focus on Saturday or Friday night. So it's all about the way the coaching staff presents it. Uh, 
you know, you want to make sure that they're not talking about the next team, the next game, or anything like that. You want to just stay focused on the task at hand, and, and then ultimately, um, it's just the preparation you have Monday through Thursday. You mentioned it, Ricky Stanzi finally came out playing well from the start, passing as good as he ever has, and ended the game with very good stats. And yet, especially in the fourth quarter, he almost single-handedly let the Red Wolves right back into the game with that pick six. It was, yeah, it was, I don't know if he just didn't see him or, or what the situation was. A lot of times that's the case. You got five linemen and some rushers in front of you, and you're looking and you see your receiver and you just don't see the guy behind him. And that was an ill-advised pass. Obviously, he came back and, and almost hurt him. But, uh, but for the most part, the throws he's making are just incredible. I mean, the fade routes, the conversions down the boundary. Or he's hitting the receivers right on the money, right over the top of the corner. So, I mean, those are just perfect throws. A lot of times he's throwing it before they're even open and uh, just knowing where they're going to be. And that's truly when you know a quarterback's comfortable with what he's got going. At what point do you think that kind of glaring mistake is going to cost the Hawks a game? Or do you think he's still going to be able to clean that up? I think he'll clean it up. I mean, I really think he's, you know, that's part of the learning process. He's, he's now cleaned up the other part of it where he's, you know, he's throwing the ball more accurately. Uh, throughout the game and with the exception of like I said just a couple of misreads where maybe may, I don't know if he didn't see him or what the situation was but those are two mistakes that quarterbacks make uh, inevitably and and you know he'll learn from them and he'll be better because of it. It was good to see Beluga back but the offensive line really struggled to get the running game going although generally they pass blocked well what did you see there, and was there anything specific about Arkansas State's schemes and their defensive? Well, I mean, they, they were slanting in there a lot, and, you know, they get in the, the gaps, and they, and they really, if they press hard in the gaps when you're trying to run zone blocking, which is, you know, basically slide and step over and take up to the next level. And if, you, if you're getting in there and slicing hard or slanting hard into those gaps, it puts a lot of stress on the lineman that's trying to take, overtake that guy. And I thought they did a nice job of that and running through linebackers uh, and creating problems. and. And so, I mean, that's, that's part of the deal. And, and obviously then with, if a team's going to really be doing that now, traps and, and stuff like that can come back and, and hurt them. So, you know, I was a running team. It's a zone running team, stretch running team. And, you know, I think if they can implement some traps or some power game a little bit in there, double teams down and then kick outs, that type of thing, it'll just be another nice element to their running game that they can bring. Seemed like Iowa could pass at will during this game, especially in the second and fourth quarters. Uh, but they became bound and determined to run the ball regardless of what Arkansas State was giving them. Would you say that stubbornness is part of the coaches? I think it's just when you have a lead, they don't want to do anything crazy and, and try to give it up. I mean, they feel, uh, one, I think they feel strongly in their defense that, you know, if you give them a 10-point lead or a 7-point lead, they can protect that. And so they don't want to make any mistakes. They want to work the clock. You know, obviously, if you run the ball three straight times, you're going to take two and a half, three minutes off the clock. Versus if you pass it two out of three times, you're only going to take 45 seconds off of it. So it's a combination of things, and it kind of goes back to what we talk about. The coaching staff believes strong in their defense, and they're going to play it. You know, if they get a lead, they're going to try to milk it away and ice it away and, and do it that way versus going up top and trying to make it a 21-point lead versus a 10- or 7-point lead. Really, if you take away Stanzi's interception for a score in the fourth quarter, it was a fairly dominating defensive performance again. Yeah, you know, offensively, the throws he was making was great. I thought our defense is, is doing an outstanding job. Uh, and, you know, Arkansas State had some good schemes. I mean, they're, they're a good football team, and they got good players. So, you know, they gave us a little bit of troubles periodically. But, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, I mean, they, they just – what they do so well is they just play team defense. Everybody's in the right spot where they need to be. 
and then they run to the football and get to the football. And, uh, you know, they got the, the pieces in the, of the puzzle in the right spot. So, I mean, they got a chance to be very, very successful. Is there any part of the defense that looked most vulnerable to you on Saturday? Not really. You know, I mean, I, I, think, I think they're pretty solid. I mean, the one thing that, you know, it's interesting that Eads, A.J. Eads is a linebacker, but he's always out on the slot guys in anger every once in a while. They'll slide him out and cover a trip set or something. But they're good enough to do that. That's the amazing thing is they can match up with slot receivers a lot of times and at least cover them for a couple seconds. So if Iowa does bring pressure that they're still covered, you know, the worst thing you want to do is bring pressure and not be able to cover receivers because that can give you a massive problem. So, you know, I think that for the most part they've anger and eads and those guys have been able to cover down the slot receivers and then consequently when you have linebackers in there then they have trouble running the ball against our front four and then you add the three linebackers it's just that much more difficult to run in there with those seven guys. As a coach do you prefer a different defensive scheme against spread offense another one that's coming in this week um, a lot of high school teams are running the spread now too. Well I'd normally like to match up you know a lot of teams go nickel and dime Iowa does it periodically on more predictable situations it's just personnel it's personnel driven if you don't have the DBs that can cover then your best bet is a Pat Anger and AJ Eads, and I'm telling you, right now the way they're playing, I wouldn't have any problems the way they're doing it. I mean, they they are they are getting it done. Uh, I don't see Michigan, to be honest with you. I think they're still raw with the, what they're trying to run with the spread, and I don't think I I, I truly don't think they're going to pose that much of a threat to, to the Iowa defense right now. We touched on it. In comes Michigan, another ABC national telecast night game blackout. Some are suggesting that Iowa's scare last Saturday and Michigan's losing in overtime at Michigan State was the best possible set of outcomes from the Hawks' perspective heading into Saturday. Well, I mean, obviously from a national standpoint, it would be nice if Michigan was undefeated and rated in the top 15 or something. But, you know, I mean, they are what they are, and, and they still are Michigan and, and 4CA, uh, the freshman quarterback's having a great year. But I'm telling you, they've been having those, you know, exciting games, you know, Notre Dame, Michigan State, everything's been really climactic endings and they're due for a letdown and I think uh, they're gonna come in here and lay in an egg I just got a feeling that they've been running on emotion and adrenaline for the first five or six weeks of this season and you know they're still not where they need to be physically in the Big Ten to match up with an Iowa team and I you know I just think Iowa's gonna I'm not gonna say have their way with them but I just feel strongly that Iowa's gonna be up to the task of really taking advantage of, of Michigan's situation right now and putting it on them. Have you seen much of 4CA this year and He's, he seems like he's pretty much a driving force in their offense. He is, and he makes it all. You know, they can't. He, he scrambles a lot and gets out of the pocket, and and then that's where he's creating his plays. Like like Jeff Garcia from that standpoint. You know, the offense doesn't look like it's meshing and it's working, but he makes things happen with his legs. You know, and he buys another two or three seconds, and then the receivers are getting open. With Iowa's pass rush, I don't see that happening. I think uh, Claiborne and Ben coming on the edges. They do a good job for the most part of containing it, squeezing the pocket, forcing it up into the, you know, in the guys up front. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be, one, tough to, for them to run, and then if we force them to pass, I think we'll do a good job of keeping him in the pocket, keeping him contained, and, and putting a ton of pressure on him. Do you think Bo Schembechler is rolling in his grave, given this Michigan team's defense so far? It's a different style, you know. It's it's not, and that's, you know, the hard part for Rodriguez when he comes in is there's a Michigan way, and that's, you know, it's perceived as a Michigan way, and you need to embrace that, and Rodriguez comes in with a different style, a different philosophy, and, you know, he wants to do it his way, you know, versus the Michigan way. Well, you got to find a way to incorporate what you're doing into the Michigan way so you assimilate. They're, yeah, I mean, they're just not where they need to be right now, obviously. And uh, like I said, I, I think that, you know, they're a decent team. They got some talent. But, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, I don't think 
they're where they need to be. And then from a physical standpoint, I don't think they're where they need to be to match up with an Iowa. You touched on it a second ago. You mentioned uh, the ends and Forcier. On both sides of the ball, by position, what do you think are the most critical matchups? Well, obviously, I, I think you got to keep Forcier in the pocket. I mean, I think he's the when he when he's at his best, he's breaking the pocket, making things happen. And if you can keep him in the pocket, you know, force him to get in there and, and throw the ball and only give him three three and a half seconds. You know, I don't think he's a pocket passer. I think he's a scrambler and, and a spread guy from that standpoint. Uh, I'm not even convinced he's that good of a runner out of the spread. I just think he's more of a, you know, an elusive type thrower. So, you know, it's just a matter of getting to him, not letting him have the ball in his hands for more than, you know, five, six seconds at a time and keeping him contained. More general, most of the national pundits are saying it's Iowa's defense against Michigan's offense. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, I think ultimately, I, I think where the big thing you'll see is that Iowa's offense is going to, be able to just line up and take the game away from Michigan. And I think you'll see some long sustained drives. I think you'll see us just milk the clock away, converting on third downs, you know, third and shorts all day long, uh, doing the things we need to do from running standpoint to set up the pass. And and I, you know, I'm I, you know, I'm pretty excited because I do think this is a really good Iowa team. And I'm just through watching Michigan over the first four or five weeks, I'm not convinced that they are, you know, as good as people were initially stating them to be. Any other thoughts? No, it's just going to be great. Like you said, the national televised games and the night game at Kinnick, there's nothing better than that. I mean, it's you know obviously going to be comparable to what it was like in Penn State and, and that type of atmosphere. And it looks like the weather forecast is good thus far. And, you know, it's good to have Iowa back on the national stage. Second and nine, Stanzi will pump it, looks the other way. And for the second time today, McNutt scores on a long touchdown pass from Stanzi. Quarterbacks do a drill, Pam, where they stand 40 yards from a, a trash can and they throw the ball in the air and they try to drop it in the trash can. That one landed right in the trash can. That was such a good throw from Ricky Stanzi, I can't tell you. He just threw it over Dalen Walker's head in a perfect stride hitting Marvin McNutt. Perfect play. Our Big Ten Notebook going into week six of the 2009 season and the third week of conference play, the Big Ten is one of only three FBS conferences that feature two or more 5-0 teams, Iowa and Wisconsin. The SEC still leads the nation with four unbeatens, but two of those face off this weekend when Florida meets LSU. Last week was a little unusual for the Big Ten with visiting teams winning four of the five matchups and Michigan State barely surviving in overtime against Michigan. Ohio State's win at Indiana marked its 16th straight road win in conference play, just one shy of equaling the record of 17 straight held by Michigan from 1988 through 1992. With their wins last Saturday, the Hawkeyes and Badgers are only one win away from bowl eligibility. Wisconsin is also the only unbeaten FBS team not currently ranked in the AP Top 25, but five computers used in the BCS formula rate the Badgers as the sixth best team in the nation. The Big Ten is still fighting its national image of being down in football, and one of the contributing factors is the fact that conference teams have only averaged 15.4 point wins in games against mid-major opponents. That compares to the SEC's average winning margin of 34.9 points and the fact that the Big 12 has a total of five 50-point victories while the Big 10 has none. 
Couple of interesting facts. The Nittany Lions rushed for 338 yards last Saturday at Illinois after being held to only 109 yards on the ground the week before by Iowa. And going into this weekend, Wisconsin is the only team to beat the Buckeyes three times in this decade. Key games this weekend include Iowa hosting Michigan and Wisconsin traveling to Ohio State. In that one, it will be a battle between the Big Ten's best offense and its best defense. Also of note, Penn State will host Eastern Illinois and will face former Iowa QB Jake Christensen in that game. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We turn now to Pat Hardy's segment. You can read Pat's articles in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. Sean Patchett talks with Pat about last week's game in this Saturday's contest. To paraphrase a well-known press citizen columnist, a win is a win and fans shouldn't be worried about style points. That's how I feel, especially I know that's how Kirk Ferentz feels too. And Someone brought that up to him at his press conference yesterday about the fact that they could have won by more. You don't need to be concerned about the margin of victory at this stage. They're 5-0. and You can't be any better than 5-0. and And I know there's been some talk about Iowa plays to the level of its competition, and I don't agree with that because... They destroyed Iowa State on the road, and they pretty much handled a very good Arizona team at home. So I just think you need to just write this down as Arkansas State had a great day, and Iowa still came away with a victory, and you move on. Having said all of that, what worries you most about Iowa's performance against Arkansas State? Well, it's still the inconsistency from Ricky Stanzi. He still has that tendency to throw a real costly interception, and against a team like Michigan, that could really shift the momentum, because I think Michigan's going to come in here. I know Iowa's defense is very good, but I think Michigan's going to score a couple touchdowns. So in a game that I think is going to be really close, where the momentum could swing on one play, Stanzi has to avoid making those costly turnovers. Usually in a trap game, a team will come out flat and struggle from the beginning, but that wasn't the case really in Saturday's game where Hawks came out firing, beginning of both halves, but then kind of went. Yeah, and I asked Coach Ferentz about that and thought maybe maybe if it kind of created like a false sense of security, and he disagreed. He was more consistently giving his credit to Arkansas State, saying that Arkansas State did the things they needed to do to get back in the game, but I think what happened in that game that allowed Arkansas State to get back in is the Iowa running game regressed, and Coach Ferentz admitted that yesterday. They took a step back. They did not play very well. The offensive line didn't. It just was, it was not the same crisp blocking and the same execution they had against Penn State so I think that enabled them too but I think for the most part it's just you just gotta forget about this game the points and just realize that they can't be any better than 5-0. and What does this team feel like to you now or should we wait for Saturday night's results before we talk about that? I think you should need to wait until after these next three games. I think these next three games against Michigan, Wisconsin, and Michigan State, two on the road, will define this season. I think they'll be the difference of this team being a possible 11-1, and 10-2 and team, or an 8-4, and 9-3 and team. I, like I said, I th- we'll learn something about them Saturday, like we did against Penn State, but I think we'll still not going to completely know what's going on until after that Michigan State game. Ricky Sanzi finally had a game where he came out and looked very good from the start uh, before that fourth quarter interception. And it's tough to argue with the team's record with him as a starter. No, I don't have any problems other than the fact that he still hurts his team by throwing costly interceptions. There's times where 
you just wonder what he's looking at. Like when he threw that interception to the flat, I mean, it's like everybody in the stadium saw that linebacker just hovering around there. Granted, it's a little easier for us sitting up in the press box to see all those things, but he's 13-3 and three as a starter. He's won nine games in a row, and to me, that's the bottom line with a quarterback, just like it's the bottom line with a pitcher in baseball. Can you talk about what you've seen from Marvin McNutt and finally seen like Saturday he had that breakout performance as a wideout? I was actually surprised that he was able to catch both those balls. I wasn't surprised that he got open as he did, but you still got to complete the catch. And in both cases, I know he bobbled that first touchdown pass, but he hung onto it and caught the ball. And I think what you're seeing is each game he's getting more comfortable with his situation. And also, as long as DJK keeps doing whatever he is to not get on the field, McNutt's going to seize that opportunity. And I think you're also seeing the fact that being six foot four can really help you as a wide receiver. The running game seemed to struggle on Saturday, and coaches seemed intent on forcing it come hell or high water. Can you that, talk about that at all? That's Iowa football, and that's just, I mean, they still got enough yards to where I think they were balanced to a certain degree, but they're going to try to run. They even tried to run in 2004 when they had a 15 tailback, and they really couldn't run, but they have to run to set up their play action, so I don't think you're ever going to see a game where Iowa completely abandons the run. If they wouldn't do it in 2004, they're never going to do it. The offensive line pass protected well, but sure looked like it struggled run blocking. Uh, maybe one of the line's poor performances this season. Is that concerning, especially since Belaga was back there? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a concern, but I think you got to wait and see what the, how they bounce back against Michigan. I think Arkansas State had two weeks to prepare for this game. They had some smaller, very athletic defensive tackles who shot the gaps well, and I'm just going to write down, mark it down, as just a bad day for the Iowa offensive line after a great day against Penn State. So we'll see what they do against Michigan. Great out the defense. Uh, it didn't seem like they were as dominant as the last couple weeks, especially against the no huddle spread. How worried do you think fans should be? I don't think you need to be that worried about the defense. I think this quarterback, now I would be a little worried this week because what the defense, what they suffered with Saturday was the quarterback's mobility. I mean, that quarterback was able to improvise and create plays. I mean, that play where he faked like running into the line and through the little jump pass, Tim Tebow style, that was all new to the Iowa defenders and what have you. So I think they still struggle against mobile quarterbacks, but I don't think there's a defense in the country that doesn't struggle a little bit with a quarterback who can basically do something on his own after the play breaks down. But for the most part, I still think they, the defense is the strength of this team. And I don't think you can just base it on one game where a very hot Arkansas State team, which by the way, is picked to either continue tend or win the Sunbelt Conference. I grant it's not the Big Ten, but that's not a pushover team that came in here, but I think the defense will be fine. Let's turn to the Michigan game. A lot of interesting angles in this one, focusing on the Wolverines first. Their defense has been pretty abysmal through the first five games, and none of those were ranked opponents. No, and that's been one of the big problems with Michigan is their defense, which is kind of weird to say that, but I still say, I just have been going through the Michigan media guide. They've got four and five star recruits scattered throughout that roster. The talent is still there, so you got you got to keep saying to yourself, sooner or later it's going to start clicking on defense like it has on offense. You just hope for Iowa's sake that it doesn't start clicking on defense this week. And I expect Iowa to score in the 20s, but I also expect Michigan to score in the 20s. I think this is going to come down to who makes the least amount of mistakes, who possibly does something well on special teams and field position, because I, I keep seeing like a 27-23 game. Right now I'd give Iowa the edge, but I think with Michigan's defense, you just hope that the light doesn't come on this weekend from Iowa's perspective. Uh, speaking about the offense, they've put the reins of their offense in a true freshman's hands for only the third time in school history. Yes, and I think you're going to start to see this more and more in college football. Now, Coach Ferentz brought up a good point. Part of the reason I think it's happening is because 
high schools are throwing the ball a lot more than they used to even 10, 15, 20 years ago. So when quarterbacks get here, they're more ready to handle a, a complex system because they did want, they, they, that's what they did in high school. So I think Forcier, plus you're seeing true freshmen enroll at school early. He came up there, he was there for spring ball. So that makes a big difference too. It's not like he just showed up on campus in August and boom, he's there. He had, he had all spring ball to get ready and what have you. But I think high schools are throwing the ball a lot more and that's helping these quarterbacks adjust to college quicker. Well, this is not an old-school Michigan team when it comes to rushing. They only had a minus three yards rushing through three quarters at Michigan State and ended up gaining only 28 yards on 28 carries. Yeah, that Michigan State did. They did what they had to do to stop the run. We'll see if I'm sure that's going to be Iowa's goal, too. But Michigan still has the ability to run the ball between Brandon Miner and Carlos Brown. They were two big stud recruits, and you can't sleep on Michigan's running attacks. Plus, now with this offense, they do a better job, I think, of getting their running backs in space. That's why you've seen Carlos Brown with so many big plays so far. Iowa has to avoid letting them get that big play because lots of times you can hold a running game down for three quarters, and boom, all it takes is one big gap, to, and the next thing you know, a guy's gone 70 yards for a touchdown. So, I, I mean, they've got some issues with their running game, but I still wouldn't sleep on it. With Bulaga back, how important would Gideon Meraki and Prater back on the field be for Iowa this weekend? Oh, I think it's essential, and I think you're going to have all three of them back. I think they'll all three back. They'll be close to full strength, and, I mean, you don't want to play against Michigan not at full strength. And Tony, I think, probably could have played last week. They held him out as a precaution, and hopefully that will benefit now because I saw him yesterday and he looked healthy. But, yeah, you don't want to take any chances against Michigan. If you, I mean, you need to be full strength to win this game. Talk about the intangibles surrounding Eric Campbell as Iowa's wide receivers coach, both a four-year starter for the Wolverines and a longtime assistant coach there. Well, I think he obviously can give the players here sort of a inner perspective of Michigan because he's lived there and he's been there. I mean, he bled maize and blue for years and now he's here at Iowa. He can kind of maybe give them a more personal account on how they do things here. But I think now Eric Campbell is so ingrained in the Iowa program that the main thing that he may, may do for the players is give them some motivation to try to beat the school that basically just said, you know, we're going to do a coaching change and you're out of here. So hopefully they can use that as motivation more than anything. Experts are saying it's going to be Iowa's defense against Michigan's offense, what are your keys to the game and what do you expect to see? Well, I agree with that, but I think the keys to the game is going to be Iowa's offense against Michigan's defense. I think if Iowa's offense can perform better than Michigan's defense, that to me is going to win the game. I think if Iowa can run the ball for about 150 yards and get 2 to 250 from Stanzi, have a nice balance attack and be able to use the play action, to me, those are the keys along with turnovers and special teams. Do you have a prediction? Right now I have a score of like 28-23, 27-23, and I have Iowa winning mostly because they're at home. And right now I think Iowa's a little better team than Michigan. I still think Michigan's in the developmental stage, but I think it's going to be a very close game, and I would not be surprised at all if Michigan won. Tenth play of the drive coming up, third and 11 for the Hawkeyes. Stanzi runs away from pressure, and that one's picked off. DeMario Davis makes Stanzi miss, and Davis takes it all the way in for the Arkansas State touchdown. He will get penalized for the celebration in the end zone, but a big pick six for the Red Wolves. Critical mistake by Ricky Stanzi, and again, struggling in the pocket. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time www.hawkeyesmike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. 
It wasn't all that long ago when two legendary coaches faced off against each other every time Iowa played Michigan. Iowa's Hayden Fry talks about preparing for Michigan games and his relationship with former Wolverines coach Bo Schembechler. Coach Schembechler of Michigan and Coach Darrell Royal, University of Texas, on game day were the two greatest competitors I've ever competed against. On the other hand, off the field, they were the nicest gentlemen in the world. And just, uh, but when they put their game face on, you know, I, I went over and told Bo at one of the games, and I think it was up at Ann Arbor. I said, Coach Schembechler, I said, uh, don't run out there on the field, contesting officials call and so forth. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, just out of curiosity, I went over and measured your headphone while ago and the length of your, your cord. You're going all the way to the hash mark and your your cord, is, it's 18 feet out, 18 yards out from your bench. And I said, your cord only goes 15. You're going to strangle yourself. <laughs> so I played a lot of jokes on Bo. You know, they spent all day putting white butcher paper over the pink locker room and so forth and pregame warm-up. I said, well, coach, I understand you and your coach has been busy today. <laughs> U.S.O.B. <laughs> and that's when we were number one and they were number two and I had the guards and centers change position and the guards are snapping the ball deep to the punters, bouncing back over the head. Bo comes down there and he's watching that. I'm standing there with my arms crossed trying to keep a straight face. Finally he said, fry you're not going to let that guy snap during the game, are you? I didn't look at him. I said, Coach Schimbeckler, we don't plan on punting tonight. And walked off. He later hollered at me in the end zone and went over and he gave me a piece of his sugarless gum, chewing gum. And I grabbed that whole package and took off. And I've kept that chewing gum on my desk for years and years just to remind me how difficult it is to get ready for Michigan. And every spring and every fall, we'd, we'd designate one scrimmage just for Michigan to impress the youngsters. You can't wait till game day to get ready for the Wolverines. They're tough. Just a reminder that you can be part of the next show by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeye's Mike podcasts through iTunes. And broadcast school has really paid off. Today's Hawkeye's Mike program is made possible in part by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. Iowa hosts Michigan in another Saturday night contest on nationwide television. This is both the Hawks' homecoming and a blackout game. An Iowa win sets up another huge game in a week at Wisconsin. And a Michigan loss gives them two in the conference and probably takes them out of the Big Ten title picture this season. The Wolverines haven't been on Iowa's schedule the last two years, so this will be the first time the Hawks test the Rodriguez productive spread offense led by freshman quarterback sensation Tate Forcier. 
The game has been sold out for weeks, and it's the 55th meeting between the two schools. Michigan leads the series 40-10-4, and it won the last meeting in Iowa City in overtime in 2005, a game that halted Iowa's 22-game home winning streak. Kirk Ferentz's overall record at Iowa is now 75-53. and 53. Rich Rodriguez is in his second year at Michigan and coming off one of the Wolverines' worst seasons ever, getting only three wins in 2008. Prior to that, he was 60-26 and 26 as head coach at West Virginia. So far this season, Michigan has beaten Notre Dame and Indiana, as well as Western Michigan and Eastern Michigan. Iowa is currently ranked 12th and 14th in the two polls, and its strength of schedule is rated 35th toughest in the nation. The Hawks are one of only five teams that have registered two wins against top 30 opponents, and the current Iowa ranking in the AP poll is their highest since they were eighth in September of 2005. This is also the first time since the famous 1985 game that Iowa is ranked higher than Michigan the week of the ball game. In fact, Iowa's highest victory over a ranked opponent ever was over second-ranked Michigan in that game when the Hawks were ranked number one in the country. Michigan's offense has been prolific this season, and Forcier has been a force in every game so far. He did throw the interception in overtime last week at Michigan State that ultimately cost the Wolverines that game. And the Michigan running game was almost non-existent against the Spartans. Forcier also may be a little banged up. He weighs only 187 pounds. This weekend, he meets Adrian Claiborne and Broderick Benz. Could be a big ouch waiting to happen there. On the other hand, the Michigan defense has been porous, giving up a slew of touchdowns and failing to hold opponents in check. Wherever he's watching from, Bo Schembechler can't be too happy about that. The Wolverines are on their third defensive coordinator in as many years. They are eighth in the conference in rush defense and ninth in pass defense, although they have been tougher inside the red zone. The Hawks, on the other hand, have been dominant on defense, showing more speed than Iowa fans have seen in many years. As we've noted, they haven't given up a rushing touchdown in 33 quarters, stretching all the way back to last year's game against Penn State. On the other hand, Iowa has shown vulnerability to the spread attack. Iowa's offense has consistently put up points when they needed to, and they rank number one in the Big Ten in time of possession and 17th nationally. QB Ricky Stanzi has been great at times, but has also made glaring errors. Iowa has established a pretty good passing game with lots of receivers getting into the action, in fact, the Hawks have had a different wideout leading the team in receptions each week so far. The Hawks also should get tight end Tony Moyaki back this Saturday, and that could be huge. Iowa has put together a solid running game with alternating running backs Robinson and Wager, but Iowa's offensive line needs to get it right this weekend after struggling against Arkansas State, especially in run blocking. So how does all of this play out? Iowa avoided the perils of last week's trap game against Arkansas State, while Michigan suffered their overtime loss to Michigan State. I'm guessing both teams are going to come out firing on all cylinders Saturday night. It should be very entertaining to watch Iowa's defense try to harass Forcier. Stanzi needs to avoid costly mistakes. And Michigan has shown that it can come back late from big deficits. This contest could come down to field position, and the punting of Iowa's Ryan Donahue and Michigan's Zoltan Mesko both are outstanding. This could be the key to Saturday night. That was brilliant! Leonard gets away from Claiborne, sets his feet. The ball is knocked down, and the ball game is over. 
So Arkansas State, about a three-touchdown underdog. The Hawkeyes, for the first time since 1995, start out 5-0. First time under Kirk Ferentz. They welcome Michigan on ABC next week. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week. Awful announcing, but at least the Hawks got the national exposure of another national telecast. Anytime Pam Ward's doing play-by-play, -play, that's when you definitely want to turn down the TV sound and tune in to Dolphin Eddie on the Hawkeye Radio Network. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, this week. Also, special thanks to Hayden Fry. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeye's Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.